part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. We started a couple weeks ago in 1 Peter. We're going to be going verse by verse. And there's a real temptation this morning to start with verse 13. It's, it's kind of the next section. But we really didn't cover verses 6 completely. And then we really didn't touch that much about 7 through 11 uh, and verse 12. And there was a part of that that I just wanted, well, you know, I'll just kind of summarize it and then we'll kind of go on. And, and there's a song that we sing this morning about how there's not an idle syllable from God. You know, there's just not. And so I'm glad that I followed what I hope is God's instruction this morning of just us to take our time. So we won't start verse 13 till next week, but we're going to go back and really see this challenge that's been thrown kind of before us from verse 6. Because when we left last week, we talked about how God, Christ is this living hope and how Peter said that that was sufficient for anything that we would face in life, that Christ is sufficient for any challenge that we have because he is this living hope. At the same time, it's not like he gave us a lot of other things besides this one answer. Now, that one answer is sufficient, and yet at the same time, we're just people, and we like to go, okay, God, but could you go ahead and just fix some of my problems along the way? And, and God, that would encourage me. So you know, I know I have this inheritance waiting for me, and it's waiting at the end of time. I, I know that's coming. And, and you described it as imperishable and it's unfading. You, you described it in this great, great way. And yet, God, my need is kind of this morning. Have you ever felt that way, that tension in your Christian life? That you do not doubt whatsoever the inheritance waiting for you that has been bought by Christ Jesus. And it is secure. And he uses those three impactful words there. From, from last week, he said it is imperishable. He said it is undefiled. It is unfading. There's nothing else in this world. I, you can put things, I, I think I may have told you about the time that I went to go see the Mona Lisa. And it's one of those things that you're going, okay, man, I'm going to see this great work of art. And you can barely see it because by the time you get all the way back there, you know, it's under all these sterile conditions. But even then, they're not able to keep it from deterioration because even though they have like the... the as much as you can seal in human terms that environment, simple thing is of this environment here on earth and things on this earth, they fall and they break and they fall apart and they're vulnerable. That's what we saw last week. That we have hopes and they're real hopes, but that, that most of our hopes, this is not meant to be discouraging, but it is kind of discouraging in, in the reality. All the hopes that we have here are in some way kind of in a diminishing way. They're, they're becoming faded. They're becoming somewhat tarnished with time. Let, let, me, let me give you an example that I think at least the married people can relate to. On your wedding day, not that you were marrying the perfect man or the perfect woman. You realize that they had one or two faults. Okay? And yet, every expectation, when you exchange vows that day, every expectation was, man, we are going to have an awesome marriage not just wedding we're going to have an awesome marriage and we can say i can look back 34 years and and tell you that carly and i have had an awesome marriage but it has been defiled it has been tarnished it has been this that and the other by our own kind of selfishness at times and our own kind of like you know those days that you're going not over this dead body and, the, and your maid is saying, well, if that's what you want, dead body, I, I can maybe help you out with that. 
Now we find out that in the reality of this marriage thing that we have these great aspirations, we have these great promises, we have these great things that we aspire to, and yet they're vulnerable. Why? Because they're on planet Earth. And they're involving people that live in a broken world. That's not to discourage us. It's to talk about the reality. Because one of the realities that we're going to see, and it's going to come, I hope, crystal clear this morning, is that when the Bible speaks of this rejoicing, this word of the year, this to rejoice and to have joy in things, Almost simultaneously, almost in every case, it's talking about sorrows and trials in the same sentence. You're not going to find too many sections of the Bible, of God's Word, of His instructions, where it talks about this is joyous, and way, 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 way over here are the trials of life. And yet, in our own kind of mind, our own thought process... A lot of us think of rejoicing and that the times to be joyful are those times that have the absence of trials and the absence of dilemma and the absence of failure. The Bible doesn't do that. You and I may think that to lands. I'm going to journey to joy land. I'm going to the land of rejoicing where there is no pain and sorrow. And we've read the last part of Revelation and we're thinking there is going to be one day that land. But we're trying to find that land on earth. Does that relate to anybody this morning? And what the Word of God says, no, this land that you live is a land of rejoicing and a land of trials. And it's the same land. And we're going, but I don't want that. I want to find it kind of like a spiritual Six Flags. You know, kind of a spiritual... You know, Disney World. I can go and just, it's all fantastic. And everything is, you know, at night, you know, fireworks go off. And every day is this magical kingdom. It's not biblical, guys. I understand it. I want it too. Who does it? Who would not move to this land, the land of joy, the land of rejoicing, if there existed on earth this kind of land and you could move there and it would be absent of trials and problems and sorrows and difficulties. Man, we'd be... How many of you would take a shack in this land over a mansion over here in this land of trials and difficulties? Think all of this. I'll never forget that, you know, Carly and I, we went to Hawaii, and I mean, we were blessed to go there. And after being there about four or five days, you know, she said, I think there's lost people here too. I said, but honey, it's so expensive to live here. I, you know, yes, there's lots, there's ministry to do. I actually know some ministers that, that minister in Hawaii, and we're quite jealous of those people. But it's one of those things where you're, you know, I, I said, you know, you man, the cost of living. She goes, I would take a shack in Hawaii. And that's the closest she's ever come to saying, my, my dream of this tiny home, to do that, you know. But it would have to be in Hawaii. Who wouldn't, guys? I mean, let's just be really honest. Who wouldn't go to this land? Who wouldn't maybe trade all that you have to go over this land if you could really exist now in this lifetime, in this body, in a land where there was just joy and rejoicing all the time? And yet the Bible makes it very clear that once the fall happens from that point on until the last page, the first page to the last page, we coexist. And Peter is a realist when it comes to that. And God is a realist. And I would pray that this morning that you would very much be that realist too. 
that you would realize that when the Bible talks of rejoicing, it is not in absence of trials. It is very much in the same land. It is right there in your home. It is right there in your family. It is right there where you live. And yet that was the challenge. 1 Peter 1, 6. To, to see where we finished off last week. If you weren't here, we're going verse by verse through Peter. This is the third week, and we've gotten up to the verse 6. So that was probably good because the first week we just got verse 1. 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you rejoice. What is this? This inheritance that God has given you in Christ Jesus. This living hope of what he has accomplished, that you have an inheritance. If you're a Christian, you have an inheritance waiting for you in Christ Jesus. So he says, okay, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Amazing that he can talk about trials, various trials, all kinds of trials, and rejoicing in the same sentence. Music, uh, not just worship music, music has that ability. Have you ever, you know, one of my favorite songs, It Is Well. Okay. Have you ever noticed how it can mix trials and tragedy and rejoicing in the same song? And you sing a song like that, and it's a real song. If you know the background of that song, and he's writing it, he's pinning that over the place where he lost family members. So he's not not the guy, the the author of that song is not somebody who lives in happy land, in rejoicing land, far, far away from trouble land. No, he's just lost family members, and he comes to that same place in the ocean where they perish, and he writes, it is well with my soul. What an amazing thing that the music has the ability that you can at the same time sing a song that will bring tears to your eyes and the sorrow, but rejoice in your heart that there's hope. Am I communicating this morning? Isn't that amazing, the power of music? Man, that was sad. Look at this is going on and, and all the trouble, and yet we rejoice. It is well with my soul. Why? Because there's something bigger in that song than even the trouble that that person was facing. You're going to hear this concept this morning too. Macro, micro. As Christians, as believers, most of us really do not struggle with macro theology. The goodness of God. The faithfulness of God the mercy of God. As Christians, I'm not saying everybody in the world, but as Christians, most of us don't struggle with the macro theology of all these spiritual truths. Well, where it really gets kind of itchy and kind of uncomfortable is when it gets very micro. And where's the goodness of God in the midst of your trouble? There's one thing if it's trouble of, well, yeah, got pulled over by the police today. I mean, that's, that's not good. We talked about that in life group this morning. That's not good. But that certainly is different from, man, I just lost my mom. I just lost my dad. I just lost my wife. I just lost my husband. I just lost a child. Macro. Man, we really believe. Do you understand that? That when macro turns to micro... 
that all of a sudden, when it's our child, when it's our husband, when it's our wife, when it's our family, that all of a sudden, okay, where's the goodness of God because I'm not feeling really good right now? And this is the struggle. And yet, the truths that are true on the macro, I promise you, are true in the micro. And that's where Peter's coming. He's not being flippant. Hey, in this you rejoice. Hey, this is really easy to rejoice. Man, in this rejoice, this living hope of this inheritance of Christ, though now for a little while, if necessary, because doesn't that sound kind of like, does that sound like your problems, oh, now for a little while, if necessary? You're shaking your head no. That doesn't, it doesn't seem like a little while, does it? It doesn't. When it's micro, it doesn't sound, I mean, it's almost like he's being a little flippant here. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. If I'm sitting down with a counselor and I'm pouring down my heart with this counselor and I'm, I'm needing some direction, oh, this will just go on for a little while. <laughs> You're just going to have this, med- let's say we're sitting down with a doctor and he says, oh, it's just going to go on for a little while. You're just going to have this for the rest of your life. <laughs> But that's only going to probably be about 30 years that you're going to have to deal with this dilemma. I'm not really liking this doctor because I don't think he's very sympathetic and empathetic to what I'm hearing. Doctor, you used to say that I'm going to have to deal with the disease, this dilemma, for the rest of my life. Yeah, but it's really only a little while in comparison to eternity. And what he says is true, and yet when we hear it in the micro, it seems really unsympathetic, uncaring. Because it doesn't seem like it's a little while when it's micro and it's my life or my wife or my child. We cannot take this question lightly. Is it really possible to rejoice in the midst of suffering? Is it truly, can we live in this land and rejoice even though it is not this land over here that's just the six flags of spirituality? It truly is a land that is filled and rampant with trials. He says various trials. He doesn't even try to name some because he doesn't want anybody to think that they're kind of left out of this. And man, you've got various trials. And for some people right now, your trial this morning is really small. You know, your dilemma is you haven't been able to keep your New Year's resolution. You're kind of frustrated with yourself. And other people, you are dealing with life-changing, life-changing dilemmas and struggles and trials. He says various trials. He's including all this. We can't take this question lightly. Is it able to rejoice? Is this something that we're able to do? Because failure to receive a solid answer here can really set us up. We talked about this in Life Group a little bit this morning. Really sets us up for failure because here's one of the things. If you turn inward to inward strength for this, you're going to end up doing one of two things, guys. You're going to fake it. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And you are dying inside. And there is nothing healthy about that. There's nothing spiritual about that. There's nothing good about that. So you're either going to be false or here's the other thing that Satan would love to put upon your plate. Well, obviously, since you're not rejoicing in the midst of various trials, you're just as good as these other people that can rejoice in the midst of various trials. 
And so all of a sudden, we're just not Christian enough. We're just not spiritual enough. We're not believing enough. We don't have enough faith. And while there certainly is a component of faith in that, I don't want to, there's enough scripture that I can go back and that we are to have great faith. Satan loves to weigh upon you. Hey, let me just give you some guilt there, Sherry. Let me just play, let me put this big old heaping portion of guilt on your plate because for some reason you're not dealing with this trial in your life with rejoicing and yet in your estimation there's other three other people that really are carrying out this biblical command. Does that make sense? The falseness of, of the two dilemmas that if we don't handle this biblically guys if we don't really grasp what Peter is saying here how we can rejoice in this land that is filled with suffering that two of the possible outcomes is that we will just start faking it, especially at church, or that we will just eat guilt every single day. Because certainly it's not God's fault, so it must be. Certainly God can do it, but if I'm not rejoicing, if I truly am not rejoicing, it must be my fault. And Satan would more, he will, he will cut that cake for you and give you three pieces. And when you think you're full, and man, I can't take any more guilt, he said, sure you can. Here, have one more. He just does that, guys. So we want to handle this biblically. This is a danger. I have seven pages of notes, and that was page one. (laughs) We'll move a little bit faster. What's really being tested here? when trials comes into the life of a believer. If you're a believer this morning, what is really being tested? Well, the Bible you know, gives us the answer here, but let me give you two possible options. What is being tested when you are called to rejoice at the same time that you're living in this land of trial? What's being tested is either your intellect, your logic, or your faith. Which one do you think is the biblical answer? Now, in a way, there is a logical process going on. Uh, Ours, the Christian faith, is not a blind faith. That is, we have many things to aid our faith, to spur our faith on. But he makes it very, very clear here that what's being tested when we fall upon various trials in our life is our faith and not our intellect. Our intellect will give us some fada and some data of why our faith isn't complete here, but it's the faith that's being tested. And when our faith is being tested, it's those three perennial questions. If you're a CS, long time, go where the last three years that I've been here, you know these questions. Why me? Why this? Why now? Some of that is intellect, but a lot of that is faith. That all of a sudden you're in this land, you're told to rejoice, and yet... It's hard to rejoice because you're living in this land of great dilemma. And so the natural question that becomes a part of our questioning is why me and why this and and why now? Why? Because we realize that any trouble in our life, if we really believe biblically, do you believe that God can stop any trouble in our life? I don't think God has a wand, but if God had a wand, can he move the wand? Yeah. See, that's, that's the d- dilemma. And part of that is intellectual, but more than intellectual, it comes down to my faith. And faith in what, guys? Faith in what? Not the ability of God. Please hear this. Please hear this. The integrity of God. 
And you and I have questioned the integrity of God at times. We didn't do it purposely. But when you ask, why me, why this, why now, and you really do have this kind of macro belief that God is good all the time and all the time... If you really do have that macro belief and you really do believe that that's a truth, then it gets down to the micro and you're living in this land of tragedy and and testing and trial, then all of a sudden, when you ask, why me, why this, why now, in a way, you are questioning the integrity of God because you've said in the macro, I believe it. In other words, I believe this for Eric. Hey, brother, man, I just believe that God is faithful. Brother, I believe that he is good all the time and all the time God is good. All the time. Join, me in, join with me, brother, in this affirmation. And then I find out that there's something really heavy going on in Eric's life. And while he agreed with it in the macro, in the big theological truth, yeah, this is a truth, when it got down to the micro, and it's his life, his children, his family, his business, whatever, then all of a sudden there's a challenge there. Why me? Why this? Why now? Making sense? Everybody tracking with me so far? Okay. Now let's get into the Word. Enough from the pastor. We've kind of set that up because I want you to see the answer. All that was the purpose to set up this answer that Peter gives us. Going back to verse 6 and now reading verse 7 because he gives the, the dilemma and the answer he, he puts together here. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that... The tested genuineness of your faith. Remember we said, what is it? Intellect or faith that's being tested? He tells us the answer. Hey, this is your faith. (laughs) It's your faith. More precious than gold that perishes though it be tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's answer, what's really being tested? Your faith. Even an atheist has faith, guys. Every human being, if you're a human being, there's a measure of faith. And even if it's not faith in God, not to believe in God, you have to exercise faith in something. For an atheist, it may be that they're exercising the faith, and this just doesn't really make sense because I've never seen God. I can't touch God. I can't prove that there is a God, so therefore I conclude there is no God. But yet that takes faith because where did this world come from? And even if you get into the scientific world and go, well, there's this big bang, you're going to get, what, what were the elements that created this big bang? Everybody exercises faith, spiritual faith, or even just faith in their own logic. But everybody has, this is a testing of faith. Here, he's writing to lost people or to Christians? Thank you. Yeah, this is the circular letter going to churches. So he's writing to people that are believers. And he said, look, even though you're a believer and you've exercised, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's your testing. It's still a testing of your faith. Why? Because it's testing the genuineness, the integrity of your faith. Verses 8 and 9. He gives two examples. Look for the examples of faith here. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Would that be characteristic of you this morning, church? You haven't seen God. Do you love him? Yeah, that's faith. Yeah, that's good. He gives us an example. He goes on, he says, Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Kind of a really fancy way to say, do you really believe that God can save you and that he has saved you? Do you believe that one day you're going to heaven, church? If you put your faith in that, that's kind of what he's saying there. So, I mean, that's faith. And these trials will test the genuineness, the integrity of your faith. So if your faith is being tested, and here's what I always wanted to know when I was in class, what's the answers? How many of you have ever asked in a classroom setting, is this going to be on the test? Now, why do we ask that question? Because we want to pass the test. Would it not be kind of commonsensical, kind of logical, that if he says, okay, this is kind of testing your faith, the genuineness of your faith, doesn't it make sense that we would want to pass this test? I always thought a good instructor would actually give you the answers when you asked. I had one one time. No, you find that out. I'm going, you're the instructor. I'm just asking, you know, is this something? You know, not so much as this going to be on the test, but, but what's the right answer here? Aren't you supposed to be the person with the right answer? Well, if this is the right answer, how do we pass this test? If this is a test of the genuineness, the integrity of your faith, brothers and sisters, Christians, then how do we pass this test? Let me give you three answers from God's word this morning. How we can rejoice even though we live in this land of uh, facing trials. Answer number one. Have faith in the integrity of God's love for you. All three of these answers are going to come from that first phrase. Have faith in the integrity of God's something. And the first one is have integrity and God's love for you. See, in the macro, that's really, really easy. How many of you believe that God so loved the world? See, when you live in the land of trials and tribulation, (laughs) have you ever, honestly, have you ever questioned God's love for you? That when it got down to the micro, for the moment, for a second, and it could have been your own doubts. It could have been your own flesh. It could have been your own weakness. It could have been the seed of Satan just kind of trying to plant that in. Hey, this was, if God really loved you, he wouldn't be sending this in your life. Now, he's an evil one. He's a liar. Jesus said everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And, and yet, when something is communicated, when something is given, it has to be received. And we have the choice, and either we believe that or we don't. And, and there's been moments in my life I've questioned the existence of God. I've questioned very much my salvation. I have questioned the goodness of God. How do you not sit across from somebody who's lost a little baby and at least for a brief second, guys, not question in that really micro moment the goodness of God? We don't have to live there. We don't have to stay there. But we're going to have some moments like that in our life. In the, in the most micro of setting, we're going to have those moments where we're going, does God even love me? Peter's answer. Okay, you, you want to be able to pass this test of the genuineness of your faith? Answer number one, believe, have faith in the integrity of God's love for you. 
says, here's what's going to happen, guys. Since everything that we have of value, of every treasure that we have, is found in Christ, when we see the integrity of God, it's going to bring us back to integrity in our own life when we're facing that trial. When we know that God has integrity, even in those dark moments, then that's going to encourage us and we're going to have faith. We gain faith not because we dig down deep in Bobby's own soul. No, I look upon the word of God. I look upon the promise of God. I look upon the character of God and I find integrity in that. And then all of a sudden, guess what? It has brought some integrity back to my faith. And I can sing, it is well with my soul in the midst of going past the very part in the place where that trial happened in that person's life. Parents, we've all had that moment. That moment when your child comes, and and really, honestly, I mean, it it gets kind of funny, but that moment, you don't love me. (laughs) It's only because we did not give them a yes They couldn't rejoice in an answer that we gave. I want to go to that party Friday night. Well, you can't go. You don't love me. You want me to be unpopular. You want the other kids to make fun of me, don't you? And I always want, with my girls, I always wanted to say, man, you figured us out. (laughs) Your mom and I were up to 1 o'clock last night plotting and planning, how can we destroy your life? You know, what, what thing can we put upon her that would be a cross too heavy to bear? See, we've all been there. Somebody that you know you're loving, you know the integrity of your love, and yet that integrity of love, for that moment, in that very micro moment, when they don't get what they want, whether they're 3, 13, or 33, you don't love me. And that's where we have to come back here. And understand that the reason why we would say no to a child who really wants that is because we know that really that wouldn't be rejoicing. It may be rejoicing for the moment, but it really wouldn't be a picture of rejoicing in the long end. And because the wisdom that we have as parents, at least the the hope that we have, we're motivated more by our love than we are our wisdom because our wisdom we're still guessing at, but we're pretty sure about our love. No, you cannot go. Why? Because I really do love you. It's only when we become parents ourselves. We talk about this all the time, but it's only when we become parents ourselves that when we hit those mid-20s or maybe those late-20s and we have children and we want to call our parents up and go, I'm sorry, I'm just sorry. For what? For a multitude of times when I said you did not love me, you really showed me that you did love me. And for the first time, because they've experienced it on some level, they see the integrity of your love. By faith, when we are feeling unloved, why me, why this, why now? It's where we come back and we take the macro. For God so loved the world and we make it micro. Second answer. Have faith in the integrity of God's will for you. This is probably my hardest theological challenge in my life is what we said before. Can God stop any dilemma or trial in your life right now? Could he put a complete stop to it this moment if that was his desire? Yes. He's a powerful God. He's 
providential. He is sovereign. He is, there's not one piece of cosmic dust that does not obey his command. And, and yet here's the friction of the Bible. He doesn't make this land of rejoicing all by itself. He says, no, you will rejoice in the land of trials. And so we begin to question not only his love sometimes, but oftentimes. If we do that a little bit, we often question the integrity of his will for our lives. Look at verse 6 again. In this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Do you like that term, if necessary? Who is this if necessary, this big if there? Who is it dependent upon? Let me give you three people, okay? Satan, fate, or God? Who do you think Peter is talking about? It says, okay, when you're in this land, I tell you to rejoice, but you're living in this land where it's filled with trouble, but I tell you to rejoice. And now you're doing this for a little while, if necessary. Who's, make, who's judge over if it's necessary or not? Let me give you, again, fate, chance, Satan, or God. Which one do you think? God. Do you like that answer? Only if we believe in answer number one, the integrity of God's love. (laughs) If we question the integrity of God's love, we're not going to like this because has it ever seemed like I just want to be like them. They don't have any problems at all. I have a multitude of problems, but they have the perfect life. Have you ever for a moment kind of embraced that thought and had your own little personal pity party? The the funny thing is I do enough counseling to know that they're over at their house going, if I could only be like them, you know. This is really hard. Let me give you the biblical answer. Who's making the determination if necessary? God and God alone, guys. God and God alone. And I really struggle with that sometimes when I see real tragedy in somebody's life that doesn't seem to be connected connected with their bad choices. You make a bad choice and you get trials in your life, I'm not happy about it. But I'm going, Eric, come on. You should have known this. But when I see tragedy in somebody's life and there isn't a direct connection, it seems like with any choice that they made, it's just all of a sudden they were loving parents and the baby dies. I know fallen world. I know my theology, okay, guys? I know this is an input for work. I struggle with this because I do know and I believe with all my heart that God could have stopped that. What an uncomfortable subject. First Peter 3.17. It's probably just even on the next page or page over. Uh, let's see if our guess is right. Is God really, does God have a will? Does suffering and God's will, does it have this interconnection? 1 Peter 3.17. Jeff, read that for me real loud. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Okay. Do you see a connection there between uh, an amount of suffering that might happen in our life and that God kind of, it's God's will, at least his permissive will? 1 Peter 4.19. 
maybe the next page, First Peter 4.19. Ricky, will you read that for us real loud? See the connection? Peter continues writing, and he makes no offense or us that sometimes our suffering in our life is in connection with God's will. He's not saying because you are bad people. He's not saying this, that, and the other. Sometimes it can be just totally that a trial came upon us, but it was not outside of God's at least permissive will. And look what he says in this verse. A, what kind of creator? Okay, another word for faithful is integrity. So man, guys, understand that you have a creator. He has integrity. He's faithful. Macro, micro. But, but let me give you this. Uh, i got several more pages. We're going to try to wrap up here. But please hear this. Your greatest struggle, I struggle with that theologically. That can, God can stop something. He can keep something from happening but he doesn't always choose it. I really struggle with that at different times. But our greatest struggle can also be our greatest comfort. There was a time in Jesus' ministry when people started leaving him left and right. It's one of my favorite passages. I wish I could have been watching when this happened. Because people are leaving Jesus left and right, and Jesus isn't trying to pull them back or anything like that. His word is cut like a knife. And it's kind of separating those that are going to be faithful. He's testing the genuineness of their faith. Like at the Sermon on the Mount and other times, the, the feeding of the multitudes. He says, wait, you just keep on coming back because you just want food. You don't want me. You want food. And so they begin to leave Jesus' ministry. And after one of those episodes, when a good amount of the crowd left, we don't know if it was 10, 100, or 1,000, but they leave, and Jesus turns to the disciples. What about you guys? Are you going to leave me too? And you remember the answer? Where else would we go? When I struggle theologically, when I get those dilemmas that I'm living, I'm told to rejoice in this land where sometimes there's trials and there's things that don't connect intellectually. And my, the genuineness of my faith is being tested. Those are the times that I do really struggle in an intellectual way, maybe in a faith way, but it's also my greatest comfort because I go, okay, God, where else would I go? Where else would I go? What other alternative do I have to figure out what's going on in life right now except the command of your word, the treasure of who you are, and the integrity that you're this God that I really believe on the macro and I'm just really struggling right now on the micro. Can you show that, uh, that first picture of the tornado? You know, it's always amazing. Uh, I'm fascinated by weather. And uh, I, I don't it's, it's kind of hard on this particular picture. Can you see the path of the tornado? I mean, when a tornado comes, you know, there's, there's going to be a place where there's destruction. And eventually there's going to be a place where there's not destruction. Okay? And, and so, you know, when we pray, you know, God was with us in that tornado. And, and maybe you're that, you know, third house over from the right. In the macro, is God good? In the macro, could God have stopped that tornado? But you know, when it starts getting more micro and micro, 
In fact, look right here. So you see all those houses pretty much undamaged up there. All these pretty much just gone. Let's focus just on that house right there, okay? Similar cars. Totally gone. For the most part, maybe a piece or two off. God is good all the time and all the time. At God, he's just good. And in the macro, man, I get it, guys. I just don't know if I get it on this day when I look across. If I'm this house and I look across to my neighbor and I'm going, okay, mine's total destruction, yours, okay, you lost a shingle. And this is our life. Guys, this is our life. How do we pass this test of genuine faith? We believe in the integrity of God's love. We believe in the integrity of God's will for our life. That greatest struggle becomes also our greatest, greatest comfort. And the last thing as we close, we have faith in the integrity of God's desire for you. God's finished desire for you is not, well, I hope they learn their lesson. You did this, you had this wrong choice, Joshua. And so God, that great big sheriff in the sky, poof. we're going, okay, God, what you're interested in more than anything for me to, to find out that when I'm bad, you spank pretty hard. No, his desire for you is to be mature and have faith. Look at verse 7. There's an end result. There's a desire working here. So that, first two words, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through is tested by fire, dot, dot, dot. Now he answers the question. May, be found, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, that's the heart of Romans 8.28. That's the heart of Jeremiah 29.11 when it says that God is always working good for those that are in Christ Jesus. He's maturing. He's moving. And one day, in that glorious day of His revealing, there's actually reward there for this faith that we would... And He said, man, I'm helping you to to learn how to be more faithful. I have this inheritance that is all done in the work of Christ. But He said, I'm actually working with you, believe it or not for that day of revelation. He's a good God. And yet the same one who writes that, because he's had 30 years to kind of sit on this finished work of Christ. That's not where Peter was in the beginning. That's not where any of the disciples were. Remember when Jesus was out there on the boat and he's so tired because of ministry, he's sleeping. And and these big waves come up and the, the boat begins to sink. And do you remember what the question that they asked? It was really more than a question. It was really more of a statement than a question. But it was done in question form. What did they say? Don't you care if we are drowning? Let's make all the connections this morning, okay? What they were really asking, what they really were questioning was the integrity of God. Would you not agree? Hey, Jesus, you're sleeping and we're about to die. Do you not care? I question your integrity on this matter. Christ gets up. He calms the storm.
There will be so many times, guys, that you're gonna, your life's going to be in such a storm and the waves are going to be breaking over the bow of your boat and everything that you've secured to be safety. Maybe your finances, it may be your family, it may be your relationships, and that's your safety. You've kind of secured yourself in this boat. And yet, you, as you travel through this land of trials, all of a sudden waves start coming over. And, and, and you know that Jesus is there. Why? Because in the macro, you believe that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God because you're a Christian. You've got all this macro stuff, but in the micro of that moment, when the waves are getting you wet, and you start seeing the boat fill up, this thing that you've made secure in your life... God, do you not care if I'm drowning? So that the testing of the genuineness of your faith, more precious than that gold, perishes through the test and fire. I'm trying to save you some time by going ahead, guys, here a little bit may be found in the result of praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor, that's really exciting about the future, but what about right now? He answers that for us again in, in 1 Peter 3.15, and then we'll close. Andy, this was the verse I, I was talking about the other day. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Let me connect that and then we'll close. You are not living solo in this land of trials. There's other people, other Christians, other lost people. There's all kinds of other people that are there. And they want to live in the land of rejoicing too. They want to land in the six flags of spirituality just as much as you do. And yet they find themselves pretty much living in the land where there is water getting in your boat. And here Peter in First Peter 3.15 says, okay, one of the reasons why you actually are going through this, one of the reasons why I'm actually allowing this, is so that when somebody sees this rejoicing in the land of suffering, they can say, what is your secret? What is this hope that you have in you? Well, here's my hope. It's a living hope. It's what Christ has done for me. Well, what else? There's got to be something. No, that's all I've got. That's all I've got is this living hope. And maybe they will see in their life that that living hope that you have, living in the land where water's getting in your safety of your boat, it's enough for you and it's enough for them. You know I hate bumper sticker theology, but let me give you a bumper sticker. This I'll throw out any kind of sensibility. Wouldn't this make a great bumper sticker? You can't have a testimony if you don't have test. I thought that one up all by myself. <laughs> And you're probably saying, it's obvious that you did. <laughs> but, you know, you know, it's kind of like that whole reason you can't have Christmas without... Right. Yeah. Okay. I hate bumper sticker theology because sometimes we're silly with it. It's not that the truth is silly. We're just silly with it. 
You go up to a grieving widow who just lost her husband, but he's in heaven now, and everything's, gonna be, everything's not going to be okay just in this moment. In one way it is, but in another way your heart is breaking. Let's not be silly with these things, but can you have a testimony without really test? Because if not, they're just going to look at your life and go, okay, Cleve, if I had a spotless, no-pain life like you've had, where just tragedy has never touched your life, well, then I would be a believer too. No, it's when they see you in the midst of your difficulty. They see you in the midst of your boat gathering water. They see you in the midst of heartbreak. And you're going, man, I'm not happy about this, but I've put my faith in the integrity of God. And I know he's doing something. I know he's doing something. So I trust that his desire for me is pure. That's that reality, Eric, that comes on in in that child. That question, you don't love me. And then they have their own child. And that child, that your grandchild gets in their teenage years and and they call you, I'm sorry. Because all of a sudden you found both the love, the will, and the desire was all there. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, in one way, we thank you that you gave us answers to this, this test of the genuineness of our faith. And in another way, it really doesn't make it easy, any easier because now we have to actually apply these truths to our lives. And Father, while the macro seems quite easy this morning to believe these truths in macro, Father, we do not know what's going to transpire in our life in the micro next week. And so, Father, we're going to need your help, as we always do. Father, we need to come back and trust the integrity of your love for us. Father, we need to trust the the integrity of your will for us. And, Father, we need to trust the integrity of your desire for us. You want to mature us. You want us to be people that truly can communicate this hope, this living hope in a world where not everything has gone perfect in our own lives. Father, that's totally dependent upon you just uh, being the God that you are. So help us to be learners, Father. Help us today, Father, just to to not question your integrity, but, Father, just put faith, grow our faith this morning, Father. For this same Peter, 30 years before, was one of those that was saying, don't you care? This same Peter, 30 years before, before you matured him and grew him in his faith, was the one, when you said that you were going to die on a cross, said, not on my watch. And you had to scold Peter. Thank you that you are patient with us and you allow us to grow. And now, Father, we just ask, help us to grow even this week from the macro to the micro to trust who you are. We love you and we thank you. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.